Well, we are now a full four days into our Lenten journey. How are we doing so far? Decent-ish, hopefully. We're only on day four, four and a half at this point, but many of us struggle when it comes to change. In fact, many people see change as a very big four-letter word, something not to be talked about. We don't like the idea of having to change. We don't like of having to adapt. We just want to kind of do everything the same at all times. The problem, though, is if we don't change, we don't grow. And so this season of Lent, then, is an opportunity for us to delve deeper into our relationship with God, deeper into our ability to understand who God is and who we are. And so it's interesting that the church, in her wisdom, gives us these selections from Genesis, Paul to the Romans, and our gospel from Matthew. Genesis, we hear of the fall of man. Did you pay attention? It really is woman's fault that sin exists. Did you guys get that in there? If you did, you weren't paying attention. Because it's not known as the sin of Eve. It's known as the sin of Adam. The sin of humanity that we fall to. And what's interesting is, did you see how she fell to that sin and how Adam did after the fact. It wasn't that he said, go eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He talked to her and tried to get her to doubt what she knew as valid and as true. He goes to her and says, is it true that the Lord said you can't eat of any tree from the garden? You ever get challenged and sometimes you feel like your back is against a wall and you're like, uh, 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 we feel like we're caught off kilter and we're not really sure what's going on. And so sometimes we try and tell the truth, but we begin to embellish it a little bit. And so what's her response? No, he said we could eat of every tree of the garden except for the tree in the middle of the garden. That we can't eat it or even look at it. He never said you couldn't look at the tree. But if we eat it or even look at it, we will die. So Satan's like, ha, ah, I've already gotten her to go back on what she was told. Let's see how much more we can get this to unravel. Surely this loving God, he wouldn't make you die if you just eat this itty-bitty piece of fruit. There's no way that that would happen. And so what does Satan do? He sows doubt into Eve, and she begins to doubt what she believes. She falls into temptation. And then we have today's gospel, where Satan uses the same exact trick, or tries to use the same exact trick, that he used on Adam and Eve with Jesus. Did you notice that? How does Satan address Jesus? If you are the Son of God. Did you notice that? If is a questioning word. It questions the validity of his statement that I am the Son of God. Well, if you're the Son of God, as you say you are, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, jump from the parapet and your angel will come and save you. But obviously, since you aren't the Son of God, you're not going to do these things and be proved a false prophet. He's trying to sow seeds of doubt. The difference between Adam and Eve... And Jesus is astounding. Humanity versus divinity, basically. 
But Adam and Eve fell into that trap, and Jesus, being the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, didn't fall into temptation. Instead, used the Word of God, which he is, the Word become flesh, he uses the Word to combat doubt, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, he doesn't have to doubt what is real, what is not real. He doesn't have to doubt what is true, what is not true, because he is truth. Fast forward in our Gospels to where he's in the temple and he's asked, what is truth? Remember that when he goes to Pontius Pilate and he goes before Herod and he's asked all of these questions? What is truth? It refers back to this person of Christ. And then I don't know about you, but our second reading today from St. Paul to the Romans was the most analytical, logical, blah, ever. Did anybody, was anybody able to, able to follow when Kirk was reading today? Had nothing to do with Kirk. St. Paul sometimes over-explains things. I know where he gets it from. Basically, what St. Paul was saying in the second reading, though he says it five times in the second reading, in different ways every time, to really confuse us, since sin came through one man and all pay the price of it, one man pays the price for all sins. That could have been the whole second reading. That was basically it. Since Adam and Eve and their sin brought sin into the world, When Jesus, the Word of God, became flesh and dwells among us, he takes upon him the burden of all man's sin, and as one man, then pays the price of that sin for us. That's why we talk about the sacrifice of Christ on the cross for once and for all, for all of us, that he paid the debt of sin, which is death. That same death that's talked about by Satan to Adam and Eve in the garden. How many times does Satan play that same trick on us? That same trick of doubt. Where he sows doubt and confusion into our world. If we would just sit down and speak with one another, not talk at each other, but talk to each other, we would have no reason for doubt. How many times do we assume a situation. Do we go into something assuming that it's going to happen one way or another, yet it rarely does happen that way, right? Because you know what assuming does, right? Don't worry, I'm not going to say it, (laughs) because you know it. The problem, though, is when we assume the truth and don't have vindication in the truth and don't have the validity of truth, That's where sin begins to trickle into our lives. But not just into our individual lives, that's where sin trickles into our relationships in life as well. Many marriages struggle because of that same trick that Satan played on Adam and Eve, the same trick that he tried to play on Jesus. He sows doubt into our relationship. Why? Specifically in the bond of marriage? Because if Satan can break up marriages, he can break up families. If he can break up families, it's much easier to break up children and everyone around them. 
And so he goes for that marriage bond. And he begins to sow seeds of doubt. Who were you texting? Who were you on the phone with? Who were you emailing? Why were you out so late? Where were you at this time? These questions begin to sound familiar. We're sowing doubt into our relationship instead of having that truth and that trust in each other because we have either, as husband or wife, as spouse, given our spouses a reason to doubt our honesty, or we just aren't being honest. So we're sowing doubt, or doubt is being sowed into that relationship. How much better would it be, though, if we as husband and wife, as spouses, actually talked to each other? Think about that for a second. When was the last time you had an hour-long conversation with your spouse? I'll let you think. Anybody in the last couple months, last couple years, decades? Why is that? Because Satan doesn't want you to feel comfortable in your marriage. He doesn't want you to feel comfortable with your spouse. Even beyond that, if you've been married for more than 10 years, when was the last time you went on a date? Valentine's doesn't count. Beyond Valentine's Day, when was the last time you went on a date? Uh, I am giving you permission. Nay, I am challenging you, husbands. Take your wives on a date sometime in the next ten days. Ten days, Father? I mean, I don't know if I'm going to be able to find time in the next ten days for my wife. That's the problem. And even beyond that, wives, I give you permission to nag your husbands to take you on said date in the next 10 days. Only once. But I give you permission. Because if we truly believe in the sacrament of marriage, that your role is to get your spouse to heaven and you spend no time with them? How are you supposed to do that? Husbands, listen to your wives. Wives, listen to your husbands. Don't talk at each other. Talk to each other. Husbands, I'm giving you permission to listen. Wives, I'm giving you permission to listen. Wives, I'm giving you permission to talk. Husbands, you can say something too. Talk about your goals. What is it that you strive for as a person but also as a couple? Oh, Father, we've been married for 35, 45, 55, 65 years. We don't have goals anymore. Why not? You're still here. Do something with it. Until the Lord calls you home, He's calling you to be active with each other. When was the last time you prayed for your spouse? Oh God, I pray for my spouse every morning and every night. No, no, no. I don't mean praying at your spouse. I mean praying for your spouse. Not that they stop driving you crazy but they may be at peace. 
that they may find security, that they may seek joy, that they may truly be happy. Even beyond that, when was the last time you prayed with your spouse? Even if it's something as simple as, let's pray on our Father before we go to bed. Oh, but Father, we have different bedtimes. Okay, find a time. If we can't make time for each other, time will not be found. But if in the next 10 days you can't find time for each other, this is a good opportunity during Lent to assess the situation of your marriage. Or if you're dating, to assess your relationship. If you can't pray for each other on a daily basis, if you can't pray with each other at least on a weekly basis, where is the hope in your marriage? I'm not saying that marriages are hopeless that don't have that. I'm not saying that. But I really want you to honestly ask each other and ask yourself, what do you hope in? Oh, Father, we lost hope when they came around. They? You know them. Oh, the kids. I see. Well, they are the greatest gift and the greatest miracle that God could ever bestow upon you. If you can't find hope in gifts and miracles, I got nothing for you. Father, you call them gifts and miracles. You get to go home and not have them there at night. You know we walk in five minutes after Mass for a reason, and it's not because of us. It's because Johnny and Susie couldn't find their socks that were already on their feet or whatever other things that are there. Pray for your kids. Kids, you're not off the hook. Pray for your parents. The family that prays together stays together for a reason. Because we're intentional about relationship. Because when we aren't intentional, that's where doubt begins to creep in. That's the original tool of the devil that he's used from time immemorial. Why stop now? It's working so well. He doesn't have to try anything else. If he can get you to doubt your spouse, that you can't trust them, even if they've actually lost your trust because they've done something, how do they gain it back? Father, they can't gain it back. That's one of the things I ask night one of marriage prep. What is a non-negotiable for you? Because when you get married, they cannot exist. Let me say that again. When you get married, you cannot have a non-negotiable. Remember those vows that, w- that you made in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad times, until death do we part. Oh, but Father, there's some really, 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 really bad times. I don't say that there aren't. Life is hard. Life is difficult. Marriage is hard. Marriage is difficult. Being a priest is hard. Being a priest is difficult. In fact, they say that by the year of 10 as a priest, if you're going to leave, typically they do. Well, it's by about the year four for most marriages. Why is that? I get to do it by myself. I don't, obviously, because I have all of you. But where do you find your joy in life? As a spouse, how do you find that joy for your spouse and in your spouse? But also, how do you find that joy with your spouse? 
How do you be that joy for your spouse? That if we aren't seeking to grow, all we're doing is existing and subsisting. But what's the point of that? Where's the joy? Where's the peace? And so how has the Lord given you your spouse as an opportunity? I can't tell you how many people I've had come to me in my eight years as a priest and say, Father, I've been married for fill in the blank amount of years, and I'm in a really happy marriage. But, anything said before but doesn't matter normally in those situations, but I've found this person that gives me everything that I need. Do you think God is calling me to be with that person? Thank you, whoever said that. Thanks, Abraham. No, he's not. Because if he is, you would have been with that person. Oh, but Father, they give me everything that I need. No, they give you everything that you want. Everything that you're looking for that you're not finding in your spouse, you find in someone else. Well, yeah. Have you told your spouse what you're looking for? How are they supposed to know if you don't tell them, believe it or not, men are the worst mind readers ever. We never know what you're thinking. If we say we do, we are lying. We don't know. And men, women don't have a clue what you're thinking. They assume they know what you're thinking. Believe me, they rarely have any idea. If they saw your minds, they'd be like, that's it? Uh Uh-huh. Video games, food, sports, and the three-letter word. That's about it. God's in there somewhere, hopefully, too. That's the three-letter word. Right. Talk to each other. Don't allow doubt or assumption to ruin your relationships, not just in your marriage, but at work, with your family, with your friends. How many times do we assume the worst but hope for the best? And find out that somewhere the truth is in the middle of that. If we'd actually ask the question, we wouldn't have to worry about assumptions. We wouldn't have to worry about doubt. And that's one of the great things that the Lenten season gives us is an opportunity to be intentional to not doubt. And so it's perfect then at the first Sunday of Lent that we always have the right of sending the right of election because young people, and yes, Kevin, Dora, you guys are still young-ish, as are our children, part of the process of coming into full communion with the church is putting beside us those doubts of faith and beginning to investigate what is the truth and finding that truth in Him who is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus Christ. So having this public declaration of, yes, I am prepared to become a catechumen, yes, I am prepared to become a candidate to come into full communion with the church. How many of us cradle Catholics have that strength? How many of us cradle Catholics have that courage to stand in front of someone and say anything that they believe by ourselves? That's why we come together as a community of faith. 
We pray over our candidates and catechumens. We pray for our candidates and our catechumens so that whatever doubts may exist, they may find answers to, or they may at least find solace and peace in the gospel. And so let us pray for our candidates, let us pray for our catechumens, but also let us pray for ourselves, that we may continue during this Lenten season to grow as people of faith, as a community of faith for our community here in western Oklahoma. Let us cast aside doubt. Let us cast aside assumption and find the truth that exists in the person of Jesus Christ.